Well, hello everyone and welcome to the latest Mark Leverage podcast. This one being the October-November 2023 edition. It's fabulous to have you along. Thank you for taking time out of your day to tune in and listen to what I hope you're going to find. is a very interesting and varied selection of topics that I've lined up to talk to you about. And so without further ado, I'm going to wade straight in. And I want to talk, first of all, about the fact that last month Marvin Burglas was elected the president of the Magic Circle. Now, his father, David, of course, was president from 1989 to 1998. And I don't know whether it's ever happened in the in the club's history before that a father and then a son have become presidents. It could well be. I don't know the history well enough. But it's interesting that uh, that Marvin has stepped up and is clearly somebody who I think is perhaps coming at just the right time. Now, I'm sure that some of the other big clubs around magic clubs around the country get a bit fed up that the magic circle gets so much attention. But let's face it, it is, after all, just about the most famous club, certainly amongst lay people in the UK. It is arguably the oldest, just about, perhaps. And of course, being based in London, having a very um, notable and fairly spectacular, actually, place where the the meetings take place next to Euston Station in London and of course they have an active PR department and have had lots of over the years lots of famous members so I suppose it's hardly surprising that the Magic Circle probably sees itself as the country's premier magic society no matter what other clubs may think and so what the Magic Circle does and who represents it is in fact actually quite important nationally for the magic world generally now, normally, what, what seems to me anyway, that most magic clubs, the person who ends up being the president is often somebody who is really more of a figurehead. It's not necessarily the best magician in the club. In fact, often it isn't. It may be somebody who is, is in fact, technically speaking, not that great a magician, but who is extremely keen to be involved in the politics with a small p, of of a magic club and who enjoys the prestige of being the president and all the things that that brings all the kudos that that brings and as i say normally it's it's a figurehead somebody who represents the club at various functions and in the case of the magic circle these are often international as well as national events that the magic circle is represented by that person but i think at the moment and certainly given the last few years Um, probably the last 10 years at least, there have been a number of moments in the Magic Circle's history that have not been very savoury. There's been a lot of infighting, unfortunate incidents uh, between members, a lot of unpleasant feeling. And I think to a certain extent, perhaps the club has to a certain extent lost its way a little bit. And they really need somebody who knows what they're doing to be at the helm to steady the ship and to focus everybody again on the good things about what the Magic Circle offer. And I personally think that Marvin is one of the best people to do this. And the reason is, apart from the fact that he's an extremely good magician, he's an extremely experienced performer, he knows just about everyone in the world of magic probably, and they will know him. But first and foremost, in my head anyway, the thing that makes him different from just about every other president is that 
he is a businessman yes it's a magic business but most magic businesses actually all around the world but certainly in the uk a lot of them are relatively amateurish in compared to normal business in the business world marvin's with his marvin's magic is completely different he is operating in a, at a huge large unbelievable for magic scale uh, dwarfs just about everybody else in the magic world and he has for many years run this business effectively and with a sure hand and has been very very successful if he can take that business acumen and i know he's got lots of it and turn it towards the magic circle and help them to get back on track and as he's stated after he became president he stated his aims about the ways that he wants to take the club forward if the committee back him and listen to him because he has all this knowledge i think the next few years could be a very exciting time for the magic circle and as a member myself i certainly hope that is going to be the case now the fact that you're listening to this podcast presumably means you like podcasts and let's face it, in recent times, there uh, have been quite a lot of extra new ones coming on stream, which is fantastic. I mean, I think from probably around lockdown time, from that point onwards, the popularity of audio content of this type has been increasing. Whether it's that people had more time and were looking for things to listen to, uh, to do with magic, or whether it was just a, a sea change in some way, people yes people love youtube and, and video generally but the audio um, offerings are, i think have also given a lot of value and are very very interesting if you pick the right ones to listen to and there's there's one in particular that springs to mind and that is richard young's um, magicians podcast which for a number of years he selflessly it would appear produced interviews with the great and good from the world of magic and when he finally sort of hung up his microphone on the hundredth one which was david copperfield he's, he the thought probably had gone through he said well look guys uh, i've enjoyed doing these hugely and it's been great for my profile i'm sure but also just so interesting to meet all these people and find out what they have to say and their thoughts but he had to earn a living and the podcasts take a lot of time and so on and so forth so i was really interested a couple of months back when he announced that he was bringing the magicians podcast back rebranding it slightly as the magicians podcast network and importantly and i think this is a good thing he decided to charge for it so if you wanted to get access to all 100 original interviews plus new content and there's going to be a lot of new content brought on stream then you had to pay i think it's something like just under 10 pounds a month and I think that's fair enough. I know there's a lot of free content out there. Well, this podcast is free for a start. But I think sometimes when you're, especially when you are in, involving other people as well in the project, and he is now doing that, not just Alan Hudson, but others as well who are doing content for him, then the whole thing needs to be, to be subsidized by some income. And obviously getting people to pay for the content is one way to do it and i really do hope he has success with that it's fascinating really because um whereas before he just did interviews and he still does those um under the banner of what's going on and then the name of the person and so that's still the bedrock probably of it 
But also there are other things too, other different types of content that I found very entertaining to listen to uh, and very interesting as well. Especially uh, one of the things I'm really enjoying is the, the, the where they look back at previous television programs and get a couple of people discuss the various elements, whether it's a Copperfield show or, or World's Greatest Magic or whatever it is. And if you've seen those shows and they give you a link so you can go back and watch the show first and then you can listen to the podcast afterwards if that's what you want to do. I think it's a, it's a really, really interesting thing because we can look back at, say, an early Copperfield one. The, one of the ones that I've listened to is about that when he does The Vanishing Train. And um, that particular, I, I do remember watching that one. I haven't re-watched it, but I remember watching it and the comments that the two guys were making about it, it made you realise, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yes, I remember that too. Uh, it really does stir the, the memory. And it's really, really interesting. So things like that. And then the, there are, there's other content too. And I, I'm not exactly sure the frequencies. It's, it's, I think, up to about three new items a month or something like that. So do go and support it because I think ventures like this um, they do rely on people putting their hand in their pocket and being prepared to pay for good value content. And it is good value. You know, when you get somebody who is prepared, and Richard's very good, he does all his research really well when he does his interviews. So it's not an amateurish production at all. It, it's good fun. It's really interesting. Uh, and certainly it's something that I think anybody who's interested in magic should uh, be prepared to pay a few pounds to listen to so good luck Richard with your venture in going ahead in the future so I'd like you now to um, picture in your mind if you will the, a little scenario I want you to, to imagine that you're out walking your dog and if you don't have a dog you need to go out and get one so you can take part in this just wait while you do that and you're back very good so you're out walking the dog across some desolate field somewhere and just as you get about halfway across the field, a spacecraft from, comes down and lands in front of you. And a door opens and a ladder comes down and an alien walks down and comes up to have a chat. And once you've got over the sort of the banal niceties, so where do you come from then? Well, I come from Sandwich. Oh yeah, where do you come from? I come from the planet Zog. Once all that's out of the way, then you get to the important parts of the conversation where he's where the person from the other planet says to you uh, so uh, what do you do then and you say oh i'm a magician and there's a pause and he kind of looks at you and says right and magic is what because if you think about it what we do as magicians is a bit weird isn't it especially if you've never had any experience of, of it before and when we go to perform normally, unless we're talking about very young children who've perhaps never seen magic before, but then to them, everything, everything is wonderful. Everything is magical, isn't it, when you're very little? But certainly to adults, when we go to entertain them, they understand that we are magicians or mentalists and that therefore we are going to, to, to do stuff that probably they're not going to understand. And hopefully they're going to be amazed by this and amused by this, perhaps. But they understand that, that, that there is something there that they don't really comprehend. But they kind of get the idea of what magic is supposed to be. 
But if our alien from the planet Zog arrives and doesn't have that frame of reference, and he needs you to kind of tell him, what would you say? Do you say, well, it's, it's a bit of a puzzle, really. It's a, an enigma that needs to be solved. I'm going to do something, and you have to tell me how I'm doing it, even though I don't appear to be doing anything. Is that what magic is? It's a bit long-winded, that, isn't it? Or you could say, magic, oh, yes. Uh, well, certain amazing things are going, to be, are going to happen, and they're going to be done by me using incredible um, amounts of skill, because magic is basically an exhibition of, of my skill set. Sounds a bit arrogant, that, doesn't it? But it is kind of what we like, you know, especially sleight of hand magicians, uh, those who do a lot of card flourishing and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's an exhibition of skill. Or maybe you could say, oh, magic, yes. Well, the reason that I do magic and all the things that I do is it's all to do with one-upmanship. It makes me feel pleasantly superior to all the other people in the world who haven't got a clue how I'm doing any of it. So actually, it's just a way of stroking my ego. Mm, not a very pleasant thought, but nevertheless, to a certain extent, we all love the kudos that we get for being able to do, to do magic, don't we? Maybe our friend from outer space would be interested if we would tell him that it's, well, it's an expression magic of a sort of an otherworldly power. Yes, we, we have powers that normal people don't have. And we use these powers not for evil, but for entertainment purposes, to make people laugh and have a good time. A bit simplistic, but nevertheless, again, not exactly untrue. In the same way that you could say, well, magic, oh, um, well, it's not something serious. I mean, I do it full time for a job, but it's not a real job. It's really a paid waste of time, which I think we should all aspire to. And I certainly have for many years. Because really, magic is, is simply, it's just a light diversion. So that the people who have real jobs, then they have something to divert their attention away from the fact that they hate their jobs. And that we appear to love ours and that they would like to be a magician just like us. Maybe we could say, well, actually, it's a pleasing cornucopia of deception in which we get the license to tell lies. You know, when you're a child, you're told, now tell the truth, don't ever lie. And then we grow up, become magicians, and we lie all the time. Have a look at this ordinary pack of cards. <laughs> no, it's not. It's secretly gimmicked. So it does give us that excuse to, uh, to lie. Or you could say magic. Ah, yes. Well, magic, a bit like sculpture and painting, it's an art form. And quite frankly, it is so ethereal that you, as an alien, really wouldn't be able to understand what it is. So I should be happy with that. Just see your way back to Planet Zog. When I was busy doing lots of children's shows, I, I didn't tend to do just magic shows for kids. I did games of magic, which is where the concept that, uh, that I used of having a magic party came from. I provided for bookers up to an hour and a half worth of entertainment, with an hour of games, let them have some tea, and then half an hour of magic. And I found that it, it worked extremely well for me, really enjoyed doing it, and it was a lovely way for parents in those, in, in those days to throw a party without having to do very much apart from just get the food. So it was, it was a very popular option. 
And one of the things that, that I needed, because it was games, I had a, a lot of different games that I could use. And in fact, in my Complete Magic Party book, there are lots of them. The games that, are, that I've used for many years, they're all listed in and explained in there. And so if you're into games, it's a really good book to get for that reason. Um, but it's something that if you, not all games, but a lot of games require some sort of movement and so for that, you need a certain amount of space. So you would imagine that if you go turn up at a village hall and there's loads of space, it's perfect for a party. But I actually used to find, no, it isn't, because it's too big. If you have a standard village hall, a traditional one with a stage at one end, a door at the other, perhaps a kitchen off to one side, and then this big wooden floored space, or perhaps carpeted if it's a bit more modern, then um, the distance between you when you're standing and wherever you position yourself, say in front of the stage, and the back of the room, it could be a very long way. Now, I, I always use a microphone, always ever have. And one of the reasons for using a microphone, apart from the fact that it gives me authority, if you like, but it means that if I need to get a kid who has gone right to the far end of the room back in front of me so we can do the next game or do change activity, he can hear me because I'm using a microphone. But what I don't want to have to do, I don't want to have to get him back from miles down the room. So what I used to do is I used to cordon off an area of the hall, actually restrict the space so that it was sort of a bit more cosy, shall we say, because I think if all the kids are spread out, you lose atmosphere. The, the potential for kids to muck about in little groups because they're well away from you as the performer, I think is, is also increased. So by keeping them in close, you, I, I always felt I had more control over them and we could have fun. I made sure there was enough room for, if we need to move around in, in a game, there was enough room to do that, but not so much that they could run to the far end of the room. And I tried a, a number of different ways to achieve this restriction of the room. Sometimes it offered itself almost by accident by the parents who are running the party setting up the tea table across the middle of the room, thereby effectively cutting the room in half. That was quite helpful because then I could work in one half and I said to the kids, right, if you would like to win prizes, see the magic, take part in the games, have loads of fun, don't go beyond the tables, you need to be up close to me. So that was fine. But if that wasn't the case, then I, village halls always have piles of chairs. I used to get there early and I would put a, a semicircle of chairs cordoning off an area of the room and work within that. And I, but I wouldn't turn the chairs so that the seats were facing me, but turn them round so the backs of the chairs are facing me because I didn't actually want the kids sitting on the chairs. I just want to use the chairs as a barrier. However, if there are a lot of parents staying, then I turn the chairs around the other way and get the parents to sit on the chairs. And this was one way I found of preventing them from talking because they're actually sitting watching the show. If there are no chairs facing close to the performing area, they're not gonna do that. So I could use it like that. I also had some round circles, floor mats, which I use for games. And if there were no chairs, I used to put those circles, in, again, in, in either across the room or in a semicircle around, and tell the kids, these are magic circles. And if you go past the magic circles, do you know what? 
You can't win a prize. No prize has ever been won by anybody the other side. Of so you make sure you don't wander over there. And it's amazing. Kids are pretty greedy and, and they want to make sure they win a prize. So even circles or some, something else on the floor, even a length of rope, something just to cordon it off and tell them that if they go the other side, they don't get something that they want. Then that's a great way to, to restrict the space as well. And so I always did that and I found that was much, much better than, than actually trying to use the enormous amount of space with, with a relatively small number of children. And I think as a result of that, I used to get very few problems with sort of crowd control. I mentioned a few minutes ago that podcasts seem to be on the increase. And I've noticed that the other thing that is also seems to be getting more popular is the creation by various individuals of teaching paid for websites. Uh, these might be in the form of a series of courses which people can pay to to access or it can be something a bit like my eClub Pro where there's more of a membership base that with ongoing material being added to it on a regular basis. And people like Steve Faulkner has got a very active one. Uh, Jay Sankey was an early adopter of this, of course. And, uh, and of course, the, the person who most people will, have know, will know about and may well have tried his, his um, particular offering is Christian Grace, who has got some very strong magic that he's bringing out at the moment. And he has one of these sites as well. Now, I've always thought that a personal site of this nature is a great way for people who enjoy the particular magician who's running it and who's providing most of the material for it. It's a great way to get access, unfettered, undiluted access to that person and to their ideas. I mean, when I started eClub Pro 12 years ago, I, I never really, I didn't really think about it well, in terms of longevity. I never thought, well, I need this to go on forever. I just thought, well, look, there are people who enjoy what I do and there are others who don't. Rather than trying to grab everybody and compete with the big boys, I will create a little world of my own where I will put all my energies and all my ideas and invite people for a modest sum per month to come and join me. And that's what eClub Pro does. It allows people to come along become a member very easily, pay monthly, and to access what is now a huge resource, over a thousand pages of content. And it's incredibly varied. And there's, there, is, there is so much to, for, for people to, to see that I'm offering. Um, it's almost like a, a, a window into my thinking, to my store of ideas. And, and of course, because I've been a professional for 42 years, I feel like I've got a lot of knowledge that I want to pass on. I mean, the same way I was talking about Richard Young and his podcast earlier and saying, well, people should pay a little bit to receive all this good content. That's how I felt about eClub Pro. Yeah, you can go on YouTube and you can watch instruction videos on how to do various tricks and so on. But I felt that I wanted to say to people, look, if you want to get access to me personally and take my what I consider to be valuable time up, then I think it only fair that you should help me to provide all this content by paying a bit each month to me to provide that content. 
and, and I've loved every minute of it and I still do it is still the bedrock of everything I do and everything all my energy and and vision goes into eCloud Pro to the material that I put on there and the advice that I give and I think what these uh, individual sites do as opposed to just a general website is that in the case of eCloud Pro it gives my members access to me personally I mean I have a couple of levels there's the eCloud Pro itself which is the, the, the regular level then there's a smaller elite level which gives direct access to me so if people have got projects that they want to get some advice or get some help with then I'm on the end of a telephone or a zoom call and we can work on it together uh, and there's a lot of advice uh, in the elite section ab about marketing and various other things like that too that where I'm passing on the experiences that I've had I don't have all the answers nobody does but what I can do is because I've been doing it for so long is to give people pointers of what's worked for me and hopefully it will work for, for them too so I, I really like this this proliferation if you like of these little mini sites I think they're good for magic and it will help people to get closer to the people that they really admire and who they want to learn from anybody who's been involved in magic for any period of time will almost inevitably end up with a number of magicians who they've seen or who they've uh, met who they admire uh, it might be because these people have otherworldly skills very technically proficient or they might be brilliant performers in terms of the way that they present stuff but whatever it is they they seem to have a set of skills that is above what most people have and that's why they are admi admirable it's, it's why we admire them it's because they are at the top of their profession and they're a joy often to watch and I often think to myself I wonder whether anybody can achieve what these top people have achieved or whether in fact we all have to a greater or lesser extent extent a sort of ceiling to what we can achieve now I don't just mean necessarily technically although this is often the way of it when you think when you're a, a young magician even a kid or a teenager you've got perhaps a lot of time on your hands and you also have the will to practice you're interested in sleight of hand perhaps and you practice and practice and practice and you can get extremely good but not all magicians who practice and practice and practice automatically end up being terrific performers to being great sleight of hand artists do they I, I've known some magicians all of my virtually all of my life and some of them have always been all the time I've known them really really good performers they've got technical chops they, they they're great at presenting stuff they, they, they it's almost like an effortless ease that they have on the other side of the coin I know other magicians have always quite frankly been a bit of a klutz when it comes to magic they love it they're enthusiastic they, 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 they do it all the time but they're really not if you stand back and look at them critically they're really not very good at it good at it they've never been good at it and you kind of feel you are never going to be any good no matter how long you perform for no matter how much you practice you are never going to get past this stage that you appear to be at now I wonder if that's actually true or whether in fact 
anybody who, uh, who really, really has the desire and who applies himself in the right way. In other words, you, we've seen programs, haven't we, on the television where they, they take somebody who's not a magician and as part of the show, a magician has to teach them to do some magic. Now, we all know that magic can be very simplistic. You can create some amazing effects with basically self-working stuff. But if you're starting to talk about more technical things that do require some sleight of hand or some serious uh, in mentalism um, performances, for instance, re require some very specific handling of spectators and, and dual reality and all this sort of stuff, there are some people who are never going to be any good at that, aren't there? And other people who, for whom it's a, it's a natural fit. So I, I suspect that there is actually a ceiling that we all, and where, where that ceiling is, maybe at the beginning of your magic existence, you don't know where it's going to be. But once you reach it, whether you run out of impetus, whether you, you just can't be bothered to, to, to take the next step, or you don't have any desire to or the time to, you have nevertheless created your particular ceiling. And I think for some people that's a very low ceiling, more nearer the floor, and other people it's right above the building, it's so high. Uh, but I do find that a fascinating thought that, that there might be a definitive moment when we, when we reach and that I suppose older age means you might no longer be able to do things you could do when you were younger, so it starts to go down the other way. But where when you're at your peak, where that peak actually ends up, well that could be very different for different people. Which is an interesting thought, don't you think? When I was a young man in the 1970s, I was looking to try and do more shows. I wanted to do more kid shows, I wanted to do more adult shows, and I didn't really know how to market myself. It was something I had absolutely no experience in at all. So I went and approached one of the more experienced members of the Magic Club I was a member of at the time. And I tried to get some information about, well, what do I need? And so he said, well, the first thing you need, he said, you need to find a professional photographer. And you book him to take some mug shots of you. Just sort of head and shoulders and down to your waist, if you like, usually. Uh, it could be holding a fan of cards or a, some coins or a dove if you produce doves or whatever. Black and white will do fine. They don't have to be colour. Save your money on that. And get him to take a whole range of sort of static but nevertheless kind of action shots of you so that um, potential bookers can see what you look like and are intrigued by your photo. And then go to a printer and get them to print off reams of these and then you can either sign them and give them away at shows or you can have printed something called an able label which is basically a, a small self-adhesive sticker which had your all your details printed on it and there was an able label company who produced these for you i used them for years and they would have your details on it and you would peel one of those off and stick it onto the back of the photograph and it became like an outsized calling card so he said you need to do that then he said, you should have, of course, a business card. So you need to go to a printer and get one designed so that it looks sharp and it looks good with your basic details on it and get them to print a zillion of those. 
uh, and give them out to literally anybody who who you can give one out to. Who anyone who'll take one, give them out. Don't leave them in the box sitting in in your house. Take them with you and give them out as often as you can. Very important, the business card. And then you need a leaflet, really. So what you need to do is you go to a printer and that printer will have a design department and they will design for you a glossy threefold, A4 size, but threefold leaflet in which you can have some photographs, which they will take for you if you like, and briefly describing what you do don't put any prices on it though just you know let, let people contact you make sure they know how to ring you up and ask you or send you a letter in the post asking what your rates are and uh, so you definitely need one of those and then you need to be in yellow pages everybody who is anybody advertises their magic in yellow pages so you need to take the biggest advert that you can afford in that uh, particular tome and uh, put it under entertainers make sure it's the right area and keep that advert in there because that is where everybody is going to look when they want a magician they will go to yellow pages if you're not in there you're less likely to get inquiries so those were those were the pearls of wisdom which at the time were completely correct very expensive for me because I didn't have a lot of money uh, to invest in that sort of marketing and all this photographs taken and publishing um, sorry printing photo glossy photographs and leaflets and business cards and all the rest you know business cards got to the point where they were virtually giving them away to you in more recent times but in those days they weren't you know you went to a proper printer they were they were printed in the old-fashioned way if you like and they were relatively costly uh, and you think about how everything like that now has changed so radically when you think of the way that these days it's all internet based or phone based you know your website's your shop window you need to have uh, so you need to have a good effective website it needs to have video on it it needs to have good information on it people need to be able to access it correctly on their phones because a lot of people that's the way they're going to to access it you might want to use qr codes on any publicity that you give away so that they can f use their phone to get to video of you performing immediately the whole thing has completely changed yellow pages of course doesn't exist anymore you don't really need leaflets you don't really need mugshots I, business cards still have some legs in in certain circumstances but even there exchange of information with with um, using bluetooth and mobile phones is possible although in business context people still do use business cards um, most of the time but other than that everything else has just gone and of course we don't need to go to printers to get these stuff done because most of us have got printers at home that print out the, the small number that you actually need if you need a leaflet you can produce a very good looking leaflet and you only need to produce one if you really want to. You don't have to produce thousands that sit in boxes gathering dust. So isn't it amazing how things have changed in a relatively short period of time? When you're a young magician, I think there is a danger that possibly we nearly all fall into when we are that age of looking at the older, more experienced magicians and thinking to ourselves, huh what do they know 
Because when we first come into magic, it's, it's all terribly exciting, isn't it? It is an exciting hobby or profession to have. There's no doubt about it. There's always something new. It's, it's brilliant. It's wonderful. And we're all so lucky to be involved in it. But I think there is a certain ageism that can come into the way some people are viewed by others. Because we've all had the experience where we've been to a magic convention, for example, and somebody is introduced on the stage to do a lecture. And this this what seems to the young people like this ancient person staggers onto the stage and they think ah oh, no this is going to be rubbish well that person might have more knowledge than they will ever have but if they dismiss him because of the way he looks or the age to, certainly in their eyes that he appears well past it he may not be well past it you think about um, people like John Calvert and Mark Raffles, both of whom perform well into their 90s. David Burglas, who I mentioned earlier on, he's well into his 90s as well. These people are legends. These people have information. They have knowledge, experience, expertise. And no, they are no longer young. But hey, newsflash, we all get older. And whereas we all start off as these young whippersnappers who sort of slightly sneery about older magicians one day we become those older magicians and then you suddenly realize that the young ones who've come up behind you are probably looking at you now and going huh what does he know uh, and i feel the same is true to a certain extent with bookings and the way that lay people look at us as performers uh, I, i'm sure that certainly as i've got older the nature of the bookings that i've been able to get have changed i'm talking about adult shows now whereas 20 years ago i don't think this is just because times have changed i think it's it's to do with my age as well that 20 years ago i would get a, a lot of weddings because i was of that age middle-aged i was that age where i was not so young that i looked like i might not know what i was doing for such an important event but i wasn't Look, didn't look so old that I thought oh no, we don't want that old guy coming you know this is a young people saying it's a wedding hooray and so I used to get a lot of weddings now I get less but what I do get a lot of now are parties for people who are having their 60th 70th or 80th birthday because I fit in they look at me and they think oh oh he's one of us by the way he looks so therefore I am presumably safe in their eyes to come and entertain them. I will clearly, in their eyes, know the sort of things that they might like to see or to hear about. I'm not going to probably, in their eyes again, by looking at me, I'm probably not going to be offensive or whatever. And I'm sure all these things must go through people's heads and they, 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 they're looking at you and looking at the way you appear in your photo or on your video or on your website and they're making qualitative judgments made because of your age as much as anything else and of course we all know that young magicians can be rubbish or they can be great older magicians can have lost it and are no longer be able to do it or they might be fabulous but everybody should surely be given the opportunity to prove that they are worth watching rather than just be either discriminated if that's the right word discriminated against because actually they look a bit old these days see what they can do first and then make a decision eh I've always liked books. 
both magic books and other types of books too. And I enjoy writing them, and I've written quite a lot, and I enjoy very much reading them. And in recent years, uh, I've started to buy some books that I think years ago I wouldn't probably have bought, and which I'm finding very interesting to read, different types of book. And it led me to think the other day, I, I've probably bought, I don't know, six or seven books in the last few months, and I'm working my way through them all and finding them interesting for all sorts of different reasons. And it led me to think, what is it about books, magic books, that attracts me? Why, why do I want to go to the trouble of buying a book and reading it when I could sit in front of, a, of my computer and watch magic all day? I think the reason is because, I mean, there's always been this argument, hasn't there, whether it's better to see magic or learn magic from books or from some sort of video source. But um, I think reading a book, I feel like it's more a more active and engaging way. It's a more active way to engage with the material in the book. Whereas when you watch a video, it's a very passive thing. You can watch it, enjoy it, but it doesn't necessarily galvanize you into action. It's too easy just to continue sitting in the chair for three hours. Whereas a book requires of you to use your imagination and create images of what the, the person is talking about in the book that often are better than the images that, that person could have produced on a video in any case, because they're your images, your view of it all. So I was thinking, what is it that I like to, what do I get out of books? Well, obviously you get, sometimes you get tricks. Yeah, go figure. Most books are full of tricks. I don't actually need, I never need another trick ever again, to be honest, but I love reading about other people's ideas. I find it stimulating for my own ideas. I really enjoy the way people think, principles, uh, and the way they put ideas together. And any book that has tricks where the performer then gives some background, perhaps, as to how the idea came to him or her, and give some background to the other sources of material, the, the, the inspiration for them. All this I find really interesting and quite captivating. I also like to hear about the author's personal history, stories about their performing life, gives you some background for the person and makes you appreciate more, I think, the content of their tricks. You can see why they've ended up creating the type of magic that they do and gives you an insight into the, their own way of thinking, the thinking behind it all. And the, so the written word is, it is very powerful. Uh, I think sometimes people are like me. We, I'm kind of a wordy person. I, I like words. Words are important to me. That's why for 18 years I was the editor of a ma magic magazine because I enjoyed that whole process of writing and proofreading and, and all the other bits that went to producing something that people read. I found that very stimulating and, and, and a wonderful use of my time. And so I've always preferred words to video, although video, of course, does have its place. And I think that sometimes in, when a book can't perhaps give you uh, correct and accurate details of an intricate handling move or the timing of some misdirection, video can. Video is very good at, or can be, if it's done correctly, it can be very good at that. But as a general principle, 
if I had a choice to learn something from a book or from a video, I would probably most of the time I would go with the book because of all these affiliated extra things um, that, uh, that you get with a text that's been written by an author. So that's why I've been buying books and I'm, I'm very glad that I have and I will continue to do so because I think they are excellent value for money and I do get so much out of them. Right. Oh, gosh, look at the time. Well, got to go, guys. Got to go. Thanks ever so much for, for listening. I hope you've enjoyed all the topics that I've covered this time. And I look forward to seeing you again in two months time for the next edition of the Mark Leverage podcast. In the meantime, have a great couple of months. Bye for now.